Welcome to the Source Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as we explore spirituality and the many ways we humans experience and express it. I am your host, Charles Royston. Well, I just had an amazing conversation with the host of Amongst Men podcast, Ed Kennedy, my good friend, and, you know, fellow playmate in the world of making a difference, finding a place to speak, transformation, and, you know, holding space for whatever barriers arise. Ed and I spoke about spirituality and masculinity, spirituality, the source wheel, uh, topic and masculinity, the amongst men podcast topic. And we brought these two things together so that we could both share with our audiences. Um, I was delighted to be a guest on his and well, a guest on his really, we just had a conversation together and I'm going to bring that conversation here as an episode to this podcast. I hope you enjoy. I've wanted so badly to talk about spirituality in every context. And so when you invited me onto a Amongst Men podcast, and I'm thinking, fantastic, what a cool context to bring spirituality. Hmm. To talk about how gender influences spirituality and how spirituality is influenced by gender. I just think, um, I think there's such rich material there. It's that's dense. Yes. Yeah. What a word dense to me, the opposite of spiritual. <laughs> because spiritual implies. I think of spirituality as spaciousness mm. and the practice of spirituality is that which gives you more space, makes more space for others. Um, if I was to give a working functional definition and men in our culture tend to just occupy space, fill space. And therefore, I think when doing so become dense and therefore not very spacious, not very spiritual. Like filled up like a cup. Yep. A cup with no room for anything, a cup mm -hmm. with no room for anything more, not a, as I think of spirituality as a partnership with spirit, um, a humility, a recognition of something greater than this, than the self. Um, and then, and then working in conjunction with that energy, allowing for that energy to have a vote. I think men and male culture has tended to say, I'm the most important, I'm the bottom line. I'm, I'm the stick, you know, I'm, I'm where it stops. Uh, it's, it's, it's all about me. And I think that that's been one of the pieces about masculinity that I've rejected and resent. I harbor some resentment. I notice it um, when I see certain stereotypes in men, I find myself be very judgmental. And it's not about those men so much as it is about the stereotypes that I resent. It's about the 
tendencies in men. It's like we veto spirit, spirit. You know, if you're talking about the analogy of vote, allowing spirit to have a vote, the masculine energy can veto or think it has a right to veto others or space itself and that I get to take up space and claim it for myself and, you know, be damned the consequences. Yeah, which is in, in my opinion, the wrong relationship with spirituality, because it's the other way around. Spirit, spirit has the veto power. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, haven't you noticed that in life where, you know, you, you tell you tell life what you want, and then it goes a different way. We can't make we can't make our lives exactly what we want every single time. So for me, one way to look at it, and I think that a lot of people look at it this way, is that that they externalize and they externalize to the circumstance instead of externalizing to spirit. And what do you I mean by they, externalize? So there's two things you can do when something doesn't work out for you. You could either internalize it and say something I did can be shifted to make a different outcome or something outside of me is keeping me from or causing my circumstances not to align. And I think a lot of people do that. A lot of people blame the circumstances and, and, and one option is blame the circumstances and thereby create yourself a victim. And another option, my preferred option is to say, well, there's a bigger plan or frame it in those ways that there is something else at work. I don't like to say plan so much because I don't believe in a, in a direct divine determinism. I, I believe that human beings have agency, but not total agency. Mm. And so there might, there just might be something else in it for us to engage with. There's this other element, like you and I are having a conversation and we're gathered here to discuss spirituality. And that means that spirit might show up and move this conversation and affect this conversation and shape this conversation. And so really this isn't an interview one-on-one. -on -one. This is a, this is an interview, you know, three, Two on three, many. Of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> three of us are here, you know, in this conversation. Or only then, one of us is here. <laughs> well, so that's another conversation too. Oneness <laughs> versus duality. Um, but then there's also the element of the listeners right? So we're recording this just us now, just us three of us, or the one of us, and then there'll be listeners, and then they're going to bring whatever they're going to bring to the conversation, and then it will have its own energy. It will become another thing. The way someone can listen to this, and I'll speak to you directly, listener, the way you listen to this can open something up for you, or it can just go into a category of, I agree or disagree. It can just fill up your information cup instead of your actual spiritual cup. It's up to you. It's up to how you listen. Are you willing to have space? Are you willing to be moved by this? And I think that men have an I shall not be moved kind of a attitude. I'm the one who moves, or as Walter White says, I'm the one who knocks, mm. you know? And, and I like living life and maybe it's because I'm older and I'm, I'm growing more wise and more humble, 
but I like the, I like the humility of spirituality. I embrace it. I've and noticed my own I resistance to spirituality be confronted by the hardening of my exterior layers. You know, wh whether I've externalized the problems in my life, it's that circumstance or that person, or I've even internalized that it's my fault and that I'm to blame. There's been, I've placed many layers on myself and felt the hardening of my, my connection to spirit or source being thwarted because I've hardened parts of myself. Um, at least that's where I am right now, which I've got a lot to say about. Yeah, good, 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 good. So <laughs> I, I can hear that you're in this. I am, I am deep in this. In yeah. fact, I am, and I'll just disclose right now, I am actually in a hotel room. I'm not at my house now. Is this a, is this a hotel called Doghouse? Yes. <laughs> I, I know that hotel. I know that hotel. And that's, you're, that's you're sleeping on the couch tonight. And you're like, that, no, I think I know a good hotel called the Dog oh, House. No, I'm gonna go. That stay was in. that was last night. Uh, last night was the couch. Tonight is last, or sorry, two nights ago was the couch. Last night was the Dog House. I think I might make it back onto the couch tonight. Got it. And I actually wrote about it this morning. I went on a walk and wrote about it, and I think it may serve as a as a as a conversation for spirit. Uh, if you would let me share it. I was hoping I was going to ask you. Yes. All right. Let me let me give this a shot. <laughs> it's a sad day when the highlight of my month is checking into an overpriced hotel. Coming down to some beachfront property, demanding that the ocean wash away any appearance of trouble. The receptionist takes one look at me. Black duffel bag, black sweats, black trucker hat and a black mask. He blurts out, I found a room for, for you far away from the elevators, Mr. Kennedy. But his face says, is this guy going to blow his brains all over the hotel room tonight? And I've taken the liberty of awarding you 500 bonus points for your gold status. Thanks, I spit back. Fuck, I'm privileged. The elevator doesn't have any buttons and I wanna smash something. White linen on beige carpet overlooking a plastic grass lawn. Well, this room matches my mood perfectly. The do not disturb sign says sleeping off a soiree. Party of one. Need your car, Mr. Kennedy? Yes, I have it waiting for you. Thanks, I think. This poor valet clerk has to spend two minutes pulling up my underwhelming Mazda. Heading out for the night? No, I'll be right back. Guy's probably gonna go get fucked up. I'm not ready to go there just yet. Truth bombs like you're such an asshole made me forget to pack my laptop charger, my lifeline. Best Buy is a fucking joke. Obese mothers shuffle desperate teenagers through aisle after aisle of plastic. Natural resources twisted into a synthetic nightmare. Do you have any Xboxes? Yeah, maybe I'll binge game all night. Fuck, sold out. Yeah, because that's how we're all getting through this. At least I blunted my lesser tendencies. 
I didn't drink and I don't want to. That's a relief. Dinner costed a cow its life, however, and a pig, and a calf for the slice of American cheddar. I tried to smoke a black and mild, but this is a non-smoking property, sir. God, what I would give for a small victory right now. I know. I'll take the laptop charger neatly out of the box, use it to charge my laptop, then I'll return it. That will show them. Those fuckers aren't going to work me out of $98.67. No, I've got one better. I'll smash my fingers on a video game. Oh, you suck at that too? Great. Pile on. What's left? I guess I'll just play with my dick. That feels good. No, no, it doesn't. Just relieving a five and a half inch pressure valve on a busted submarine careening down into the Marianas Trench. I pass out watching Chris Cuomo jerk off talking about Trump. I Google when sunrise is because that's supposed to be spiritual and shit. Yeah, I'll walk on the beach or maybe go for a run. I'm not going for a fucking run. I can't recall if it was sleeping on the couch the night before or screaming, I can't do this at the top of my lungs. But either way, I blew my back out. Now I'm just wandering. A brown woman in white sand-coated socks giggles to herself. She's delirious. I recognize it instantly. A young couple sits on the lifeguard tower having the same conversation we've been having for thousands of years. What the fuck's wrong with that guy? <laughs> that made me <laughs> making myself laugh reading this. <laughs> ah, humor is so helpful. I step out onto wet rocks to talk to myself. At least I brought a venti Starbucks. I can see memories pressed into the sand. A five-year-old five-year-old's footprint squashed by a 33-year-old's Nike Flex Fit. Surfers out trying to catch a wave. A distrustful bird catches my eye. He wants nothing to do with me. I'm human after all. Where did my joy go? Is this a storm or a prison? We were never meant to be only one thing. That is our gift and that is our curse. Suspended in a perpetual state of change, then washed away like sandcastles. This world is so fucking beautiful, I can't stand it. Even jagged rocks look pretty when they sit together. And here comes my COVID-15 love handles, dragging my self-loathing mind around. So now what? I'm supposed to get on an AA meeting and talk about my problems? Who the fuck wants to admit defeat over and over and over again? At least I can count on the waves to come in and the sun to rise. I guess I'll put some faith in that. Wow. So dense. <laughs> That's it. Yes. I, you know, I need to empty that out. <laughs> yeah. There's so much somethingness in that. Yeah, and the so light, much, the, yeah, the lightest moments were in your laughter. You're able to step back and see the futility, the inanity, the stuckness of it. <sighs> so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you for letting me share it. And And that's part of the 
the beauty of all of this is that there are methods and there are ways to deal with or cope with when life doesn't seem to be conforming to the way that I, as a man, have directed it to go. And I have observed enough times that pushing, 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 pushing on that same point causes myself pain. Yeah. So there is, I, I, I don't know how wise I am, but I'm wise enough to know that that, that will uh, not yield any benefit in the long term. So this there, it's, it's, it's interesting to find another way to approach and deal with my challenges. And if anything, I've, I've, I've stumbled onto this idea that perhaps what's missing in the masculine experience is that of the feminine, Mm. you know, everything that I just did over the last 24 hours and then wrote about it and then thought about it was this struggle with allowing and creating space in myself to actually admit or confront what I'm actually dealing with instead of all the appearances or the hardening that I've done to myself to avoid it. I wonder if you've, if you've observed anything similar about the presence of feminine energy, if we call, if we, if if it's even appropriate to call them to gender, uh, genderize them, (laughs) that this is the masculine energy and this is the feminine energy, but it's the closest I have to, creating space to talking about creating space in myself. There is something about gender that the English language and all the cultures that use English primarily have struggled with because it is such a non-gendered language. Many languages are gendered. Tables are Mm -hmm. feminine, right? Air is feminine and certain things have gendered qualities, but because we don't have that, I think we, misunderstand gender a lot. We don't have concepts like yin and yang in our culture to understand how there's this assertive energy and there's receptive energy. I think Mm. it's better to call assertive and receptive rather than masculine and feminine, but this is a amongst men podcast. So I think that we need to frame it in terms of masculine and feminine. And I have noticed that in your sharing that there's so much masculine rage there's so much um if i was so bold as to say rage protecting fear in your sharing i mean you're demanding the ocean to do something (laughs) (laughs) you know like like it's your call like the ocean must bend to your will. I mean, there's just such a hubris to the masculine energy in, in what you're sharing. And, and then you write about it and reflect about it. And then you cast it off with humor and you're able to let it go. And really it's an offering. I pictured this image of your standing on the, on the edge of the ocean and you're offering this shouting to be carried away by the tide. And it gets and it gets carried away, not because you told it to, but because that's what the ocean does. That's what spirit does. 
is it carries away when we're willing to confess them, when we're willing to release them, when we're willing to surrender that we, we're not the end. We're not the, the buck doesn't end with us, that there is something greater at work, then we can give it up. And I saw that you have the most joy uh, was when you were able to release some of those things and laugh at it and see how silly it is. And then as it drifts away on the ocean to see how small it really is, when it's so big and so heavy when we're carrying it alone. And I think that was a beautiful process. And, you know, you, you asked the question, I don't know how wise I am. And I want to offer you and your listeners a frame, a reframe for some that I find so powerful. And I'm going to cite um, one of my favorite modern authors, Jamie Cato, um, who says that we're all, each of us, a wise guru in charge of a mental patient. And so this frame, <laughs> this frame I want to offer you is that you are wise when you are identified as or identified with your wise self. But then you're also, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? You know, you're also that guy. You're also no better than the meth addict stumbling around on the beach. You know, you're you're no you're no better than, you're no different than. And like you said, there's this, you know, there's this stuck energy, this dense energy that can occur when we identify as either or, right? Mm. When we when we when we constellate ourselves as this wise guru only, then we're arrogant. We're above and we're pretending that we don't also have, you know, a crazy monkey circus shit show going on inside as well, because we all do. And just like the same, we're not free, we're not powerful, we're not light, we're not full of spirit when we over-identify with the crazy monkey minds shit show either, mm -hmm. because you're not that either. You're, you're all of it. You're a wise guru in charge of a mental patient, or as I like to say, you're a zookeeper in charge of the the zoo and so it's a whole menagerie of different animals going on in different moments and in one moment you might be the lion who's roaring in pride or you know the gorilla who's putting on a you know an alpha stance or you might be the chimpanzee who's ready to fling some poo at you and then smell his fingers to see what it smells like but you're the one who's in charge you're the tend you're the steward of all that is going on. And then, you know, there is something that's an ally for you, something that's more of the infinite. And mm. we can draw upon that. My mental patient or the part of me that is the mental patient uh, was uh, parading around to my wise, wise self about how not wise I am. <laughs> pointing out and 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 i i have noticed that happen in me many times where i think i should be doing better you know i think i think i should do be able to handle this better or should be able to confront this challenge easier haven't i done enough work on myself to not have to have these explosions or uh, selfish tendencies, like, can't I just kill the mental patient? <laughs> can't I just get rid of the mental patient? Uh, and I've, you know, I've seen the futility of that. Yet uh, when I'm expressing it, that's not at all how it occurs. Well, there's wisdom 
there's the wisdom of the mental patient. And that wisdom is a gift to you to not over-identify with the wise guru. Uh, it's going to remind you that you're not that so that you don't identify 100% as that. That's a gift. It doesn't feel like a gift. It feels like flung poo. But it's a gift. It's a gift of moderation. It's a gift of balance. We can't go around acting like we're better than if we stay in touch with the part of us that's lower than. And that's the gift of the chaos. That's the gift of the lower function is mm. to keep us humble. And we don't often relate to it that way. We often relate to it with shame and embarrassment. And we hide those parts of ourselves from ourselves. And then we hide those parts of ourselves from others. And then others become a threat to being exposed. And if they see us acting this way, well, then we feel angry towards them and shame towards ourselves. And we continue to try to hide these mental patient parts of ourselves. And yet it's, it's fully you. And so is this higher function, this function of the part of you that knows how cathartic it would be to write. And then even more so to read it and put yourself out of the mess. Well, the, and, and that's a test. That's a testament to who you are in my life. If I was recording this podcast today with most anyone else, I probably would not have shared this. And mm. it's almost it's it seems like somewhat of a cosmic alignment or mm. you know cosmic joke that we rescheduled this podcast to this morning yeah <laughs> and that yes i you provide me with that space or at least i give myself permission to speak about these experiences because of how i relate to you versus other men because there is that threat of i don't want you to see my mental patient you know, that's where the resistance to going to AA meetings uh, is. That's where the resistance to picking up the phone and talking to people in my life about what I'm dealing with. I don't want anyone to suggest or point out that what I might be doing is not working or that the circumstances I'm in might not be okay. So I just protect anyone from seeing those parts of my life and then i'm sentenced to suffer alone inside of it so in in i would like to say thank you for mm. being who you have been for me for years because it's just effortless to share what i'm actually going through even in a public forum like this um you know that's how much you have done for my life and as a you know i would say a teacher of mine um, in this path and, and how to find spirit in the day-to-day, -day, where mm. to find spirit. And, and, and going through this process, space did get created. And all of a sudden, the words are just there where I can own, I want to apologize. Wow. You know, I can just, uh, you know, all the resistance to, this is not my fault. This is not my problem. To, I would like to apologize. Mm. And, and, and it's, there was no effort to yeah. owning and and declaring and sharing i want to apologize because i'm not feeling like i'm losing anything well, after what having I'm done hearing, all that work what i'm hearing is that you created space i had this image ed of you um having the tenderness and the willingness to to clean up a mess underneath all that stuff all that rage 
and you had to get it out. And once you got it out, what was naturally there and could arise as if it was effervescent, as if it had no density, as if it actually was the stuff of spirit could actually just elevate naturally. You've got all this dense stuff off of what your experience was. Yeah, like and, like shedding layers or removing yes. layers or you know, you know, drip by drip, the cup empties, and then all of a sudden something else can fill it up uh, naturally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I love how you listen to me, but for your listeners who don't know me, don't know what it is that I have done for you or how I've been for you, I wanted to kind of underscore the energy of it as a non-judgmental space. So you, you're, you're saying space because that's the reference we made to spirituality so far, but there's a flavor to the space. It's a non-judgmental space. It's a space that says, in effect, Ed, you can't screw it up with me. There's nothing you could do or be that would make me abandon you. There's nothing that you could do or be that would make me cast you aside, shame you, laugh at you. You are mine. I've claimed you for life and I love you. That's the energy that I bring to our friendship. And that is spiritual energy. And it's not something that I do often. It's not something I do for myself very easily. Gosh, if I do that for myself more, I'd be a better, happier, wiser part of myself. Mm. But it's, it's easier for us to do it for others. And then I have people in my life for whom I feel that. You're one of those people around whom I don't feel like I could screw it up. I could come to you in a complete mental patient mess and you would have space for me. In yeah. fact, it would be inspiring for you to carry that for me, with me, for the times that I couldn't carry it. And those moments to me are as spiritual as any sort of holy event, any sort of anything else. There's so much grace. There's so much love. There's so much of that, that everything that we've called and ascribed to God or source. That's what that is. And, and we have the capacity as humans to generate that energy for each other, with each other, and benefit as if we're in the presence of God with another human being. And that's, to me, that's where it's all about. I, I don't often go to a church or a temple or a mosque and, and, and expect somehow God to feel more present there. For me, I have a relational spirituality and that I feel God in me when I'm offering that space of love and acceptance to others. And then as I experience it in others, I experience them as God. It's in, and what you're describing as the flavor of the space highlights for me the gap in myself where I have not offered that same space to another. Mm. So I think about my fiance and I think about the lack of space I gave her mm -hmm. to be herself and not to focus on the content per se, but I can at least see that for myself, I violated a, a, a part of myself in not providing that to her and I can see the gap and it's, it's upsetting to see yeah. the, see where we come up short of something that is so beautiful 
and something that's so natural when it's present. Mm. And what I'm hearing you also say is, or what it's reminding me of is spiritual materialism, where we're looking to experience, have peak experiences of transcendence and the consumption of what we think is a spiritual connection to source versus what you're describing is, it seems to make a, a kind of sense, a kind of common sense that it would just be present in dialogues between human beings and experienced in the everyday, experienced internally when I offer it to another or generate that space, not on the top of a mountain or you know, in the throes of an ayahuasca trip. Mm, mm -hmm. Not that those aren't revelatory. And they have been very revelatory for myself. Yes. They put it, but they're the finger that points. <gasps> it's the finger that points towards the thing and not the thing itself. And I have found myself focusing on the finger saying, I want more of that versus discovering what the finger is pointing towards. And how how do I find that in my everyday life and everyday experience? Because it's not present. My experience of connecting to the eternal or to source or to God, whatever, you're right, we ascribe these labels to what we're trying to talk about is not my lived experience most of the time. And I and I can get, I can be seduced by oh, well, it's, I, I need to go on this trip or this experience, or I need to eliminate these things from my life so that there's, so I don't have to experience the negative or darker side of humanity or life. And therefore I will have more peak experiences or a more connected experience. And I, I after many ayahuasca trips, that was the final message was, what are you still doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, the, like life is life is I'm out there, too, you know, like, yeah, you can meet source or meet spirit anywhere. Yep. And yet seeing all the gaps, seeing all the places where that's not my experience, that is not what's present and where my assertiveness or my selfishness or need to feel in control of my life thwarts that kind of a space and allowance for what's happening. I'm wanting to, I'm feeling the space of wanting to gift you this mantra. And I'm wondering if you'll, if you're in a, if you're in a place where you can receive. Yeah. Okay. So I was gifted this mantra and there've been times in my life where it just is a comfort for me. And so what I'd like to do is chant it for you. And I'd like you to open up your receptors and just receive. And then we can talk about what it means. Om Bhubha Om Svaha Om Maha Om Janaha Om Tapaha Om Sakyam, Om Tatsa Vitur Varenyam, 
Bargo divasya dimahi dio yonaha prachodaya. That is the Gayatri mantra, one of the most chanted and most ancient of Sanskrit mantras. And whew, I feel the sacred space centered around my heart, just on fire with light, not the fire of destruction, but the fire of illumination. How did that feel for you? It feels, I can feel that the tightness loosening in my chest. I can feel my feet planted on the ground. A bit more calm and centered. I'll chant that three times in my practice. And the first one will be for me. The second will be for you, and the third will be for all. It's kind of a practice um, mantra to just chant that. And I was gifted that by one of my gurus, um, Larissa Stowe. And um, it's been such a comfort for me in times when I just need, because one of the things I know about my masculine energy is that discipline fires it up. Doing, doing. You know, doing really does fire up the being for me. And that that's something that I I cap uh I want to capitalize on mm. in my masculine side is that I can tell myself to do something and then do it. That's powerful. That's a that's an integration of my masculine and feminine sides, is the telling myself what to do and then the surrendering and doing it is the meeting of my feminine side. And it's the it's the integration in that. So I'll do a 21 day challenge or something where I'll just chant it every day, three times before I do anything else, you know, first thing in the morning or, you know, and it just, oh, it just does something for me to be in that relationship to something so sacred, so ancient. And I found the shortest possible translation I can find. <laughs> and I'll share that with you here. You who are the source of all power, whose rays illuminate the world, illuminate my heart so that it can too do your work. Wow. <laughs> I got goosebumps on that. Wow. That's it beautiful. elevated me. Yeah. And so it's a, you know, it's a really interesting practice. And what I've noticed when I do chant it is that the, the one that's always toughest for me to get the feels is the one for me. You know, I can chant for you and feel completely lit up, fired up and inspired, full of spirit. I can chant for the world and everyone who needs it and feel lit up, fired up and full of spirit. And then when I turn around and chant the one for me, I feel like I'm just performing a task. <laughs> and it's like, it so confronts my own worthiness, my own unworthiness, really. It confronts my unworthiness as a barrier to my great worthiness. Because I am, you are, you all are deeply worthy of this space of love, this divine space of 
you can't screw it up with me. There's nothing you could do that would make me cast you out. I love you, space. That is the space you all deserve. And yet there's a barrier that I feel in myself. There's a barrier that I, I meet in others. And so for my kind of calling in life, I feel like it's my job to be credible so that when I say I love you, you believe it and you believe that you're worthy of it. Because if I live my life as, a, as, an, you know, as a, a hypocrite, in other words, if I'm a man who has no integrity and I don't keep my word, if I'm a man who doesn't have any honor or um, respect in my demeanor, then whatever I do can be dismissed very easily. But if I live as a man of substance, as a man of integrity, and I keep my word, and I have respect in my demeanor, then when I do something and say something loving, divine, spiritual, it has power and it has an impact. And then whether they resist it with their barrier of unworthiness in the moment or whether they accept it doesn't matter because it still has power and they have to go wrestle with that at some point, whether they can't let it in when I'm giving it, they still got to go home and deal with themselves that somebody out there powerfully loves them. Mm. And that, and that means they're worthy of love. There's one evidence of it out there in the world because let's face it, you know, we don't see God as this external entity sitting on a cloud. We see and feel God in the interactions on earth with other beings. Wow, there's so much to that. <laughs> so many, so many things to, to respond to. Uh, one of our shared teachers, Warner Earhart, said that talk is not cheap. We cheapen talk. We're the ones that cheapen our own talk. Ooh, that's so good. The integrity of the word, the power of the word. I do a lot of this work in my leadership class at Cal State Fullerton with my students. And, you know, we work every semester on personal development. And one of the key factors of personal development is the giving and keeping of promises. Simple, smart goal promises. Can you tell yourself that you're going to do something tomorrow and do it. I mean, it seems so damn simple. And yet, you know, what I notice in, in just everyday life is that people are really weak at giving promises because they don't add a lot of specificity. For example, Ed, I might say, Hey, you know, this was great. We should do it again sometime. There's no commitment in that. There's no specificity in that. There's no, hey, let's schedule it. Let's get it in the books. There's just no power in it. It's just um, kind of a descriptive use of language rather than a declarative use of language or a creative use of language. We're not creating anything with language. We're, we're kind of wasting it. We're cheapening it. If, yeah, we use if we use language just to describe then we're not using language it with its creative power. We can declare things into being chair, you know, and that like, I remember that from landmark, somebody, they would say, I say chair and chair, ex chair exists. And I'm thinking, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, but, <laughs> you know, but 12 years later, you know, I've practiced it 12 years. Geez. I think it's been 15 or 16, but still I've practiced it and I can see how that happens. I can see how the power of word 
can be worked on and increased. And, and I think that is a calling. That was one of the first openings that I had to spirituality because truth was very effective with me. Beauty and goodness never really seemed to get me. I couldn't transcend my own ego and identity through beauty at first or through even goodness at first. Truth seemed to carry more weight with me. And one of the truths, if it is a truth, or at least it's my truth, is that if we are made in an image of something higher, it's not in our physical body. It's in our capacity to create with language. And there's so many threads back into traditional Christian um, theology about that idea, but maybe it's been cheapened. <laughs> Perhaps. And at least what I've experienced is that that makes a kind of sense to me that if I am created with a connection to source, this is perhaps my instrument mm -hmm. that I'm given is word. And God's not coming around as a, uh, an annoying teacher to strike me on the wrist for using my word incorrectly. <laughs> well, let me be your annoying teacher for a moment. And, 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 and let, let me point out something that's so glaring and so interesting that you're focusing on the spoken word as your gift. And when in fact, you've been given two gifts. And the other one is the what we could call the feminine gift of listening. And you're all fired up about the masculine gift of speaking. And it's so interesting how missing it is. <laughs> you know? Oh, is There's... that what Morgan was pointing out? <laughs> And, and how, you know, there's this, there's this idiom that says we have one mouth and two ears. You do the math. Which one's more important? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's, that's well said. And therein lies the integration and the balance. That's right. And without, without both, we really are missing something. And so, you know, I don't want to get on a rant, but I'll, I'll, I'll mini rant. We've had, you, you say that, you know, maybe Christianity's cheapened the word. I'm going to double down and say, yes, it has. And that we've had this divorce from integrated masculine, feminine spirituality. And we've had this overemphasis on male energy in Christianity and in the church. And there's been such a marginalization of women and femininity and a centralization of men and masculinity. And I think that has been one of the premier failings of of modern spirituality or modern religion spirituality itself persists thank god <laughs> mm. and religion itself is failing in that it fails to make this integration and and i'm not saying all religions are failing because some do make that integration but you just did this perfect perfect thing where you recognized that was that was a truth that you recognize that that was in fact a missing and that together would be better. Um, and I just find that that's, that's the stuff we got to keep working on is where are we because of our culture, because of our upbringing, because of the models we have, um, where are we missing that integration? Where are we missing that other piece? And then working toward taking on practices and working towards that other piece and 
Um, and, and I want to shout out my mom, who's not likely to listen to the podcast, but just shout her out as a way of honoring her impact in my life. She was a Methodist minister. She is a retired Methodist minister. I think it's still a profound part of her identity. And she did this thing that was so subtle throughout her entire career from ordination until retirement. She never once used he, him pronouns for God, even when it's said in the liturgy to, this is like literally come down from the Bishop of the Methodist church. This is what to read and say. She would silently, subtly just replace he, him with just the word God in every sermon in every class, in every workshop, in every prayer. And that was her subtle feminism, mm. as it were, but also a, a subtle gift so that she didn't continue to perpetuate this uh, disintegration of the masculine and feminine principles of divine. It appears that a lot of what's being attempted on in the level of spirituality or the level of religion in our society is attempting to make God in man's image versus the other way around. That that's what we're trying. That's that's the attempt is let's turn that the eternal what cannot. It's even hard to talk about. In many cases, it's a it's an experience. It's a it's a connection. It's it transcends even the physical body try to bottle that up and bring it all down into what is a patriarchal conversation about conformity, right and wrong, um, threats to your survival or to your, to the wellness of your soul. And, and we've been at this for a long time. We've been at this mm -hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and I think, I, I think we do both, what we're, what we're not saying, I don't think either of us is saying that Christianity on its own is not a beautiful religion. I think it is a beautiful religion. I read a book called The Law of Light by Lars Mull, which was my reintroduction to Christianity as a beautiful religion. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. But what does it do? It reintroduces Mary Magdalene as this equal partner with Jesus Christ and this, and it just made a kind of sense to me mm -hmm. that connected me to, ah, maybe this has been subordinated. Maybe this has been appropriated by the, the masculine structure to control and dominate society and, and power dynamics mm -hmm. that we've, we've lost the beauty of it. And then, like you said, there might be other religions where that's not as presence, but that's, that's my most common connection to religion is Christianity, although I have studied others, but not as much as Christianity itself being raised, quote unquote, Catholic. <laughs> oh, the attempts of going through the motions <laughs> when I was younger, going to mass once a year and all of those, all of those early introductions to what God is or isn't was just so, it's so interesting to look back at what was happening. And, and I firmly believe that I was, I was gifted alcoholism mm. in my life. Cause I just don't know if there would have been another way for me to find God. Wow. 
I just don't know if the water would have gotten through the cracks any other way. To be so humbled by my own self-dealing, to be broken, and and alcohol, alcoholism, and my connection to alcohol and what it really covers up. It's it was my solution, not my problem, as it's said many times. Um, was the way that I was able to actually connect to anything that felt authentic about spirituality. I had been an atheist up until that point. I would I had had transcendent experiences where I was like, oh, that doesn't add up in my logical framing of what reality is and the pointlessness of life and the futility of my life. You know, all of that got shattered when someone suggested that I pray <laughs> when I wanted to drink. And I did. And it was a foxhole prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, oh, shit, in a foxhole. I don't want to drink, but I can't seem to stop drinking when the uh, liquor cart is coming down the aisle of the airplane and I have a expense report that could cover up all of this drinking and no responsibilities and for the first time in my life not wanting to drink and not being able to stop and then pressing my head forehead into the chair seat in front of me just saying fuck <laughs> God, just take this away from me. I don't need this anymore. I don't mm. need this anymore. Please take this away from me. And to this day, almost six years later, I have never had the physical craving for alcohol. Not once. And I can't make sense of it. Well, that's so powerful, Ed, and I'm so glad for that. Happy sobriety. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And if I could, if I could make one distinction about modern Christianity versus what I think would be Jesus's Christianity, mm. would be that what you just talked about—that that that Christ and Christ consciousness is here to carry something, not give you something. Mm. And I think so often Christianity is is offered as a as a gift versus which it, you know it is it can be I can see how somebody could language it that way but in your story it became so evident that it's not here to give you anything it's here it's here to carry something for you and that is such a subtle but powerful distinction and I'm a fan of Christianity. I was raised Christian, Methodist, Protestant. Um, and I lost my faith for a while, as many teens do. And I also found drugs as a way to get me back, um, or at least keep the doors of perception open. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was uh, studying Buddhism and studying Hinduism and studying Islam and studying you know, Zoroastrianism, Rastafarianism, study Judaism, study all these religions, Taoism, Sufism, Jainism, 
and Sikhism and just finding that it, there's something essential in them all, that if there's something essential in all these that I studied while I was wandering away from Christianity, then Christianity deserves for me to come back and find it again in there. And Richard Rohr is a reverend who I think is amazing. I think he's out of New Mexico. Um, and the way he writes brings me back. And there's a couple of others that bring me back. And, and of course, my mother's effort. Um, every once in a while, I'll call her up and ask her what sermons she's working on, because she'll, she'll get an invitation to fill in for a vacationing pastor somewhere. Mm. And she gets so giddy about being able to take the gospel, take a, a, a piece of sacred scripture, and then turn it into something people can use. You know, take this, this phrase from the Bible that could be so archaic and so old and so unrelatable because we're not living that life anymore, the life uh, from the context of the times of the Bible. And then she makes it relatable with anecdotes that are current. And I just find there's such a, such a beauty in that. And so I've been able to find that the Jesus energy of my young teens, you know, when I first accepted Christ as my savior, that feeling was a feeling of, oh, I'm not alone. Somebody's here to carry my angst, my teenage angst with me. And that was a beautiful thing. But the energy of Jesus has never been pushy. And so when I meet pushy Christians, I feel like there's a, dis there's a disconnect, there's an incongruence. I said, you know, I was approached when I first moved to California by some, I'll never forget this. I was, I was here to, this, this dates me a little bit, but I was here to rent a VHS tape from Blockbuster <laughs> <laughs> on one of my first weeknights here uh, in California. And I was approached by, I think it was a group of six or seven young people and they were they had a they had a 12 foot cross on roller skates that they were carrying over their shoulder <laughs> you know like the, just the edge of it was on roller skates so they could carry it with them and they were cruising around the parking lot and they as soon as i got out of my car they addressed me and they said hey sinner can we talk to you and i just felt so offended by that approach because it assumed so much and it was a it was a, can we tell you things? Can we give you something? Can we offer you something? There wasn't uh, hey, how are you? What's already there for you? Let us listen you. Let us know you. Let us hear you. Let us see you. Let us offer you some of our acceptance. There was a, we want to do something to you because of the way you look or because of the way, you know, like, like that. It was such a, um, an affront. It was an aggression in a, in a, you know, it was motivated by a kindness. And I get that. And I even got that in the moment. So I sat with them and I offered them some of my spirituality by listening to them and being gracious with them and allowing them to have space in my heart. And, and at the same time, there was this other part like, wow, how, could, how is it that they're offering me something and I don't want it because I already have in my heart space, the space of having a partner, a spiritual partner carrying some of my burdens with me. So it was just such an interesting dynamic and it really has turned me off to Christianity as a religion. But to be clear, Jesus is one of my favorite spirit guides, one of my favorite people to meditate upon. 
beings to meditate upon and to speak with in my private spirituality. What's interesting about what you're describing is the phrase sinner or the word sin. And I can't recall where I heard this or researched this or was told this, that one interpretation of sin is that it means to miss the mark. Mm -hmm. Simply all it means is to miss the mark. It does not mean what perhaps we have bought into it meaning or the consequences of missing the mark that are inevitable if you continue down your troublesome ways. And uh, Ramdas uh, once said that whenever you observe someone being fanatical about any belief, what you're observing is someone who is going through their own crisis of faith. Paraphrasing that when we feel in ourselves a sense of shakiness about our beliefs, we're prone to be to evangelizing them to others. Religion or not any anything really, if some if something that we strongly believe in is being questioned or threatened, we are very capable of uh, defending it and becoming more fanatical about it. And, you know, the, the parallel is just obvious for like my own relationship in my life, <laughs> the fanaticism and the, the effort and energy to protecting the structures of how I want to be seen by myself and by others and getting fanatical about it because they're threatened. <laughs> and so to just to bring it all the way back, that's, that's what I can observe even in myself. I can relate to that space, even though yeah. I'm not roller skating around a 12 foot cross, I can see, I can see myself in that behavior. I can see myself in it, even in this call, even in this, in this interview, this is or conversation is that I'm, if I'm promoting anything, it's I'm promoting a loving kindness and acceptance. And I could see my need for that. Like, <laughs> I want that. I want that. And so if I can go around and promote that, then there's a chance I'll get some of that somewhere. You know, if I get it out in the world. And so I can even see that very human attachment to um, mo and motivation, right? I could just sit and be quiet and just experience acceptance and you know like that it just doesn't it's, it's not as good so <laughs> you know i like i said i can't give it to myself as easily as i could get it from someone else or as i could feel it when i give it to someone else and mm. so there is a bit of that selfish motivation in offering it and there's nothing wrong with that that's um just the way it is there seems there to be or sorry, go ahead. Well, I, but I, I wanted to tie it back to your uh, definition of sin. There does seem to be a missing the mark experience when we project ourselves out in the world like a projectile and then don't see it as a projection. Whew. Slow that down for me. I got about 5% of that. That sounds pretty profound. I come from anthropology training first, but then later training in counseling psychology. And 
that's given me an excuse to really double down in my Jungian analysis kind of mindset. And so this is coming from that sense from Carl Jung that everything is a projection from the unconscious and the unconscious is constantly putting itself out there for us to see it. And that's the goal of life, according to Jung, is to just integrate the unconscious, is to have the unconscious be seen. Otherwise, it'll keep running the show, pulling the strings and firing shots. Um, and we won't know that it's shots coming from our unconscious. And so one example of that might mean, um, oh, so, uh, you know, one of my one of my unconscious triggers is seeing bros you know like 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 there's something when i see like bros being bros there's this there's this culture of like a car with truck nuts on it <laughs> actually i find those very humorous but oh <laughs> but but there there it could it depends you know it's like for me it's the trigger of of mad dog energy you mm. know when i'm out there in the world i'm open and then i see if i'm looking and smiling and being gracious and I see a man catch my gaze, my open, generous, happy gaze, and then mad dog me like there's something wrong with being happy. And then it, like, I think that uh, there's a seething homophobia under it. Like, like as if I'm, uh, as if I'm a threat, you know, mm -hmm. like I've somehow I'm, I'm, I'm coming on to you because I'm smiling at you. Um, and that just triggers me. And that comes from inside. I want to be accepted and I want to be loved by everyone every time at any moment I can get love and get acceptance and so I get upset by that energy and I project it onto them as that person's an asshole versus recognizing that it's my projection that it's just my fear of any places in which I don't feel like I'm going to be accepted and I'm going to be loved that makes that makes it my shot that I took rather than you know, they are in fact an asshole. Mm. They have their own stuff going on that causes them to walk through the world the way they do. The only reason I'm upset by the way they're walking through the world is because it doesn't serve a need that I've got in my unconscious. And so if I can keep that in my consciousness, if I can remember that, then I won't miss the mark. I'll, I'll continue to just see myself in the world as me and have the world be a mirror for me instead of the world be this separate, objective, external entity that's very threatening and very scary. Mm. So that's just one anecdote, but there, yeah, you're right, that's deep. That, that is very deep, that concept of owning one's projections and having that be a concept for sin. Well, I would be surprised if it were the case that men listening and people in general didn't have the same relationship to what you described earlier about being able to care for others or even receive love from others, but that the love of self is the tricky one. And that to say that that's your subconscious shooting out an arrow and projecting onto others is that sense of unworthiness and that for you to yourself to catch it, mm -hmm. ah, there goes the projection. No, Chip, you're safe here. I love you. Th that's the difficult part 
of our work, I, I think that's, I would be surprised if that wasn't the top one that most men struggle with. Mm. Underneath yeah, we, perhaps other layers of struggling to be generous to others or even receive love from others, but that love of self, authentic love of self, not what masquerades as love of self, self-aggrandizing, but true being able to like yourself and give love to yourself is sounds nonsensical, like cha say chair and chair comes out of your mouth. Like, what do you mean love yourself? What do you mean to give yourself love? The only things that can give me love are external to me, or I can give love to another. That's I'm speaking from the, the mind that I have occupied for 33 years is love is something that I go and get and acquire and then consume. And if I have consumed enough love, then I can give it to others. And it's this external thing. How does, how do I give love to myself? And what's the point of that anyway? <laughs> wow. Yeah. What's the point? That's the existential stuff, but it's also got us a, a sense of that, you know, that, that, that capitalist economy kind of feel to it. Like what does it, yeah, exactly. How does it benefit does it me? Do? What's the bottom line for me loving myself? How do I get a better lot in life or a better position or, a, or any sort of recognition or respect for loving myself? What's the point of that? How can I monetize that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's interesting, Ed, I just wanted to point out that you do something so often, or you do something, you did something that so often I hear people do is they, they speak as if they've always been this way. When, when you said, I've been this way, occupying this mind for 33 years, I, I know that you're just about to be 33, right? You're celebrating your birthday next week? 34. Uh, okay. But when you say that you've been this way for all of your life, that denies the fact that you weren't that way that you actually occupied two, three, four, five years probably where you were what Jesus was referencing when he said, be as little children. Mm. You actually weren't in the mind. You weren't separated. You weren't fragmented. You loved the way a human loves, right? Not the way a boy loves, not the way a girl loves. You just loved when you were little. And I wanted to remind you of that because maybe in your meditations, maybe in your softening, maybe in your creating space for yourself, that part of you, that uber wise part of you, that young, innocent, Owen-ish part of you is going to be there to teach you in those moments that, you know, you weren't always this way. There was a time when you actually were free to love just as an expression, not with attachment of what to get from it, not with a, you know, what does this mean? Not with this, is this trying to get me love? This is just because this is who you are. You're a loving being. And yes, you know, you're now, you're now an adult, which means you got the monkey mind or the monkey circus. Um, but there's that still there with you. And, I, and I, I say that not just for you, Ed, because I love you, but also because I know that this will be released as a podcast and people may listen, people will listen. And 
you know, those listeners are going to be sitting there and they might have that mindset for themselves that they're just stuck because they've always been this way. And that's such a trap. That's what the, that's what the mind says. That's what the mental patient mind says is that we're stuck this way because that part of you is stuck this way. But there's this inner innocence that is wise but not wise in the old Gandalf way, not wise in the, in this, the guru coming down from the mountain way, but wise in its innocence. And those of you that have children are around children, you sometimes catch a glimpse of that awe of how innocent and how wonderful and how present they are and how free they are to just love and be loved and ask for what they, they want, ask for what they need. You know, hold me right now. I mean, I think a lot of, you said one of the prime struggles for men, and I'm thinking for myself, if I was to say a, a prime struggle, and it's related to what you said, I'm just saying it for my, my own way, is that I have this energy in me sometimes when I'm struggling that I just want someone to hold me. And that is a very real desire, but it also is one of the hardest things for me to ask for. Mm. And, 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 and when I say hardest things to ask for, it's not that I haven't asked for it. It's that I ask for it and then I judge and, and, and analyze and critique how it goes after I ask for it so that I can crawl back into the safety of not asking for it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I'll even ruin, I'll, I'll, I'll generate the courage to even ask my wife to hold me. And even that, even saying that out loud feels so shaky. Mm. And, and then even as she's doing it, I'll sit there and I'll hear the critics say, she's not doing it right this isn't working, this was foolish. And then I wanna retreat back to into not asking, not empowering that, that wise part of myself that's very young, very, uh, what's the word, naive. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, I feel like that might be a strong struggle for men too, is to, is, to, is to use the part of us that's a strong assertive advocate to advocate for that part of us that's not strong or that part of us that's 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 got ne- strong need and that and the sense of brokenness or disintegration from our highest self and feeling like that we are somehow broken or there is something wrong with us or there is something unworthy and that we've accumulated that i i appreciate you pointing out my child, my inner child. Um, and that is, that is, I, I accept the invitation to connect to that. Thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing about that, that need to be taken care of and to ask for love like a child does. My son Owen has no problem mm-hmm. getting on the couch with me and crawling all over me. And just and and cuddling me and loving me and 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 receiving love from me in that way, or asking me to do what he calls a dad fall at night when I put him to bed, which is where I just literally collapse onto him because he just loves the feeling of me on him. He lo- mm. that he gets a sense of security, I think, from that, and it's really innocent and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and how do we allow? How do I allow that? back into my life yeah would and you allow would you allow me to do that for you yeah without any without any weirdness <laughs> the i mean i always look forward to a hug from you 
It's awesome. one of my favorite things. <laughs> that's great. But like and, that, yeah, that, that's that's the stuff that we so like. We don't get that very often, you know. That that I want to feel a dad hug. I want to feel like, like, like I, like I. I don't know. It would feel so good to have a dad pick me up and carry me. But I'm six yeah. foot two, two hundred and ten pounds, and not that's not happening anymore in my life. I don't know that many men that can pick me up and cradle me, but that, but that's been one of the gifts that I've gotten from my ayahuasca sessions is that I get to cradle myself. Mm. You know, I get to be the man, the strong man, dad figure and swooping up my 18 month old self. Who's just quivering in fear. Oh, that's so and beautiful. I, and I, and I yeah. get to soothe that part of myself because there's this part of me that doesn't even have language yet. That just has a, the only thing it can do is quiver as a request for being held. And if I ignore it, if I shame it, then I'm not doing what it needs. And then I might again project that out and blame my wife for not holding me right. You know? And yeah. Uh, I think it was Thatchit Ananda, if I'm saying his name correctly, said that the the part of us that's loving can hold the part of us that's angry. Mm-hmm. How how can the part of us that's loving hold the part of us that's hurt or wounded or scared or you know how does one integrate those two spaces within ourselves, those two capacities, and this would this has been intimidating for me for many years the idea of taking care of myself it's so easily dismissed like that's not useful that's not that's not manly Mm. that's not that's not being a man and and the definitions and the the constraints of what it means to be a man in our society cuts me off i have seen how it cuts me off from spirit from source because when i am when the loving part of me is holding and taking care of the scared angry part of me i do get returned to that place of peace this ah okay i can relax i can just be mhm there's no, there's nowhere to get to. There just is this moment. And, and those empty moments are scary to my ego or my identity to, to look into those empty spaces and see the vastness of it, that it would totally wipe me out as an identity and that it does, that it is superior, that it is the boss it is the it is the prime and i am the subordinate to it my ego my identity structure and 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 how do i then integrate and surrender and turn myself over to that yeah um is is feels threatening as a man um in our modern society Um, yeah ed ed i i mean the part of you that told me you know as a declaration using your word as a declaration i'll never have another boss right that part of you (laughs) is a strong part of you and yet it's really antithetical to spirituality in this right <laughs> i guess i do have a boss <laughs> i've always had a boss and will always have a boss well uh, the, the 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 whole of you 
right, has something greater than you that you can mm. call a boss. But there's this part of you that wants to be so self-sufficient, so independent and self-made um, that that's, a, that's a, a great part of you. That's an ambitious part of you. That's the part of you that's created, you know, a warrior's weekend. That's the part of you that's created so much service for, for men and now service for women and vibrant money. And it's that there's so many things that you're creating because of that part of you. It's just great to notice that that part of you also is resistant to mm -hmm. surrender and, and humility and submission. And so then there's other parts of you, like the young part of you, that will be really great at submission and surrender. And so you need to work, all of us, right? We need to work with all the parts of us to get all of our needs met. We can't just become one part because that's just too much persona and not enough self. And if we can work together and have all those parts good at what they're good at, then we can achieve this goal of self-actualization or the goal of just actualization, um, get rid of the self and just be actualized in, an, in a relationship with and as a spiritual being in a human body. That for me is the goal for me. Wow. I, I so appreciate who you are and what you bring to this conversation because there are stereotypes of what a conversation about spirituality is. And this was none of that. <laughs> this, this was beautiful in the sense that it, it, for me, it felt practical and on the court. It felt yeah. like there was a sense of like the realness, the real live, you know, life is in session. This is what spirituality looks like for me in my life versus some um, sermon. <laughs> um, so I just, I so greatly appreciate it. And I feel like there are dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of topics or different, you know, uh, crevices off these, off these paths that we could continue to explore. But I suppose we will have to save them for a future date. Well, that was quite a conversation. Thanks for hanging in there with us all the way to the end. Hope to catch you next episode. Take good care.